Welcome back to the program. Let's get started with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, I do thank you and praise you for all the ways that you take care of us, you love us, and you constantly show us your generosity and your mercy. Lord our God, we take for granted so many of your blessings, and for this again, I come before you with a true heart of repentance and and, and, a, and a heart of contrition, Lord. Lord, I, I want to be more grateful, and I want to be a better steward. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to do that today. I thank you for uh, those vibrant witnesses, those uh, men and women that you raise up to take action, bold action, courageous action, action that leads to your glory uh, and and Christ coming in and setting people free. Lord, help us be part of that great work. Help us not to fall short. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, what is happening? It's a Monday. Mondays always involve these wonderful priests, Father Nagel and or Father Lewis, when they can make it. Father Nagel was not able to make it this week. Father Lewis, as I mentioned, is going to be on with me tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's actually a, a really neat program. We talk about the saints in association with the um, these days. So Friday was the Feast of St. Lucy. No, sorry, St. Agnes, not St. Louis, <laughs> Lucy, St. Agnes, who is a saint connected to praying for your vocation. And so we talk about that tomorrow. And then uh, today is the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, an, an amazing saint who ha- helped, um, whose book, Introduction to the Devout Life, has helped countless laity and, and obviously priests and religious too, but lay people to develop their prayer lives. And we talk a tremendous amount about the need to develop um, good prayer lives that are rooted in authentic humanity. So uh, uh, having a, a good, solid human foundation. And the way do we get there? Well, tomorrow is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. And so that theme also pr- plays a role in the program. So you can see we've got teed up tomorrow, just a, a wonderful program for you where we discuss really the flow of the calendar of saints in this moment of the year in relationship to our own journey of of growing uh, in faith, growing as um, as disciples of Jesus Christ. But today, today, the reason I um, I asked that this program air today is that there's an event happening on Wednesday, and you're going to hear about it. And I felt like, you know what, some other folks hearing about it today will just give them that little bit of extra time to be able to maybe carve out their schedule and come on out to the event on Wednesday evening. What am I talking about? And who is this? Well, the woman is Angela Conley. Uh, Carrie and I have known the Conleys, Jack and Angela, for probably 20 years. And they are amazing witnesses to living out your Catholic faith in the public square. They support and uh, help um, so many Catholic initiatives happening around the West Side, uh, around the, the Archdiocese of Seattle, um, and around the, the Tacoma area. And so just powerful witness to faith and family. They have an incredible family testimony themselves. Um, they are blessed with nine children, and uh, that comes up in the interview with Angela. <laughs> she has seven boys and two girls. I have seven girls and two boys. Enough said. Uh, and uh, the reason I was having her on was because of um, a post I saw her put on Facebook, um, and it had to do with this event on Wednesday. And I called her up to connect with her because I know that she had been very involved in supporting um, the the police as well as addressing the homeless situation 
happening in the Tacoma area. And boy, are those two themes prominent today? And are those two themes challenging in terms of finding solutions and a way forward? Well, get ready for this sharing, this interview with Angela Conley, because uh, here's this lay person, a wife and a mother, a faith-filled Catholic believer who is not afraid to get engaged with um, the political leaders, the business leaders, and to get right out into the community and be of service to those who are on the streets, the least, the lost, and the last. Well, you're going to hear about that in the interview with her. And then after the interview, I'll have a few minutes left uh, to share with you a couple of other concluding reflections. But I know you're going to be very blessed by this interview with Angela Conley. So let's get to that. And then I'll be back with more Sound Insight. Well, I want to welcome to the program, Angela Connolly, joining me from Tacoma, Washington. Hi, Angela. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we don't see each other quite as much. Uh, the Zoom is making no. it possible today. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, you, you flew away. <laughs> uh, I fled to Egypt is what I did. I had the baby Jesus with me and I had to flee. And what did you do? You stayed on the front line, right? Yeah, we're, we have boots on the ground yeah. over here. You know, it's, um, it's really cool, actually. Uh, St. Augustine, um, he wrote about this um, mm -hmm. with regards to uh, donatism. So donatism became violent against Catholics who were faithful. And um, what happened was um, Augustine said, some must remain even if they get martyred for the sake of manifesting the courage that faith requires while others must flee in order to preserve the faith so that it can continue. And so in the, in the, in the light of the very same challenge, mm -hmm. we have differing calls. Yes. And, and differing missions. Yes. And let me say that I, when I think of, I call it now the West side, right? The whole mm -hmm. Puget Sound area. Mm -hmm. um, you and Jack and, and your family are really a beautiful witness to the whole concept of the church must engage with the world. And the church mm -hmm. is most fully the church at the point where we are in contact with the world. Now you're nodding. Why yes. do you nod at that? Oh, I love it. I love it. And I think you're exactly right. We all have different calls. We all have different things that sets our hearts on fire. And that as you're even speaking that language, I, there's just such an assenting in my heart. I, I, um, yeah, I want to intersect and um, the public square the people, um, the hurt. I actually, I do want to be um, in the trenches, I guess, in a way. I'm just trying to do little things. Um, but that's where I see great, great need and great, great woundedness. And um, there is joy in just putting little band-aids on the bleed, wherever that is, or trying to stop the bleed wherever that is um so yes i i'm very thankful to be um very intersecting into um in some of the greatest pain that i'm aware of right now 
Yeah. You know, Angela, you're saying that. And um, I think that that concept of the woundedness and the pain and the suffering that's involved uh, in some ways has only become worsened mm-hmm. um, in the last 22 months now um, mm-hmm. as a result of COVID. And this is one of the uh, effects, I think, of the, the reality of this pandemic that um, there has been such a worsened um, effect on homelessness, on drug addiction, on self-harm, on um, mental health stresses, strains. Um, so many folks are experiencing triggering in terms of some of the, the trauma they've experienced in their lives or trauma has reached their lives. And so you use the word of pain and, and healing and um, we, you know, we know the great healer. We know yeah. the healer of our souls, our bodies, our lives, our communities, our families, marriages. And mm-hmm. if we are not salt, light, and leaven, if we are not hands and feet for Christ yeah. out of the community, where are they going to discover sources of healing? Yeah. And, and I think that there's a common theme in all those things that you just described Uh, many related to COVID, but I think in general, our culture of isolation. So I see one of the biggest causes of an increase in mental health and addiction and and pain and woundedness um, is this isolation and disconnection and division. So... um, What's so interesting is there's such a path forward of hope because your words of being the hands and feet, I mean, basically there's, there's such need and, and Christ can intercept into their lives. And we, you know, we can just, um, through, you know, mother Teresa, the smile, right? Look at the healing that happens. I actually don't even, I wouldn't um, limit that to the people on the streets or people suffering from addiction. I think it's in every aspect of the public square Um, on any street. It's uh, I think it's time to go beyond the division and the isolation and to kind of um, kind of throw aside reservation and just unabashedly love and smile and, um, and not without any litmus test, without any litmus test. Everyone is a child of God. And I think it's time now. And I think everyone is craving it. They're craving connection and validation in a way to say, um, you know, are you going to, are you going to cancel me? Are you going to reject me? But our path is to say, we love you. Christ loves you. And if we can show that through our, our gaze and um, our welcome, and, um, and then also hands-on, I think um, some of the greatest division around homelessness and addiction, there is a divide. And it's so interesting um, just having intersected a little bit with the people on the street in the encampments, um, there is a great thirst. It is not scary. 
it seems scary at first. It does. But then it's this incredible realization of this deep thirst. That's really powerful, Angela. And I'm talking with Angela Conley today. She's a, a wife and a mother and, yes. uh, and now a social activist on behalf of Christ. <gasps> right. <laughs> You know what? I've always been one. I know, I know. Uh, but it, there's a whole new urgency to it. Uh, but you're yeah. also someone that has a rich um, formation in the faith um, in oh, your yeah. own life. Um, yes. So I'm going to take what you just said and link it to John Paul II. Um, yeah. So I did my doctoral dissertation on his understanding of what's the basis of interreligious dialogue. And he said the basis yes. of it ultimately is our common humanity that yeah. we're all created as children of God. And therefore there is, yeah. there is this latent communion of persons among every human being yeah. that shares a common humanity and that it ought to yeah. take manifestation in speech through an openness to dialogue, but yeah. in action through solidarity. Yes. That, that, that idea of saying, I stand with you even at the yeah. point of your woundedness, brokenness, and suffering. Yeah. So you talk about isolation and division. The solution is a recovery of this communion we share as human beings, as children of God. And then the impetus to act on the necessity to be in solidarity, to say yeah. where you are, I must be in order to be with you well, or I'm failing in my own humanity. And as Catholic Christians, we're failing in our call as the body of Christ to reach out to those in need. Um, yeah. And so, it's infinite. And we don't, you know, we dapple in it. We dapple in solidarity. Um, so yeah, it's a constant call to more. So Angela, you, you have responded to that call to more in ways that you probably didn't anticipate um, doing just even a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, I remember talking with you just even maybe it was a couple of months ago and you were right in the midst of uh, a massive initiative to raise awareness and to take more compassionate action towards those that were homeless and yes. you were able to pull together this amazing sort of coalition or this gathering of folks who are going to not settle for action that allowed for isolation and division to remain. Um, and it's continued to grow from there. And there are other forms yeah. that this has taken. Just for those yeah. who are listening, would you please just share a little bit about what you've been doing um, to put flesh on the very thing that you're talking about? So um, I guess, I mean, in general, I think it's a call to the public square. And I, I think, you know, probably all of us have that in different ways. But I do feel like the Holy Spirit planted that energy and that specific call. Um, so, uh, you know, Jack and I were sitting on the couch one day and, um, and really looking out at our city dying. Really, the crime rates had increased, escalated to a 26-year high of homicide rate. Um, the stolen vehicles, the um, graffiti just mounting everywhere, the encampments growing. And so, you know, you sit there and you're just like, what is going on? 
But then it's the total realization that, you know, we all have a responsibility to actually get up off the couch and try and do whatever way we can help and roll up our sleeves in whatever way we can do that. So that's when Tacoma Safe really started. Actually, a, a police officer, um, Officer Darlington, came to our ice cream social for our neighborhood, and he was so stressed and felt so kind of demoralized and alone. So we um, that was a that was a big um, sort of wake up call, huh? Wake up call, like how can we? somehow support our police, our good police that are out there laying their lives down and putting their lives on the line. Um, and also at the same time, holding the principles of transformation because we do need that too. So what we did, um, what then happened also, because I think things happen in a Holy Spirit way and the connections and the open doors. I was approached by one of our city council people actually up at Starbucks. Um, and he, uh, he said, would you sit down with me and let's, let's see what we can do to help support our police? Because at the time, honestly, um, in Tacoma, there was a five to four um, vote and five of them, five of the city council wanted to defund the police. And, um, and the four did not want to defund the police. So we started and we created Tacoma Safe. And uh, what two of our goals, our first goal was to intersect into the, um, the policing issue, to have important conversations, to be a table, to gather around people with diverse ideas, to talk about this because, you know, I am a TAC girl. I am a Thomas Aquinas College graduate and I love the dialectic method. I feel like that's where the Holy Spirit, just the magic of the Holy Spirit, of the grace of the Holy Spirit <laughs> is born, is around the table. And um, so um, we started creating that table. And it's a community collective, but magic has happened. Honestly, I'll tell you. And it's grace. It's grace. Um, we basically started having conversations with our mayor, with each of our city council people. Um, and we brought 50 citizens to a city council meeting to speak out for the first time um, to say, you know what? We need a safer city. This is not working. So those voices were very important. Mm -hmm. People have to speak out. That helped the city council to go from a five to four to defund the police to an absolute um, just unanimous vote to refund the police. Wow. And not only that, but they attributed it to the people speaking out. Um, through our group, because basically we are just setting the table and getting people's voices out there and encouraging them and walking with them and using our own voices. So we decided we were going to just do what are, where are the, the problems? Let's keep going. 
let's not only refund the police. We had a whole team form of appreciation of our officers. And we, um, people donated $20 gift cards. We handed out uh, 200 appreciation gift bags with handwritten notes from people all over the community, just saying, we love you. We so thank you. Keep going. Um, They, all of them that we've heard back and we've heard great feedback, they felt that appreciation. So there's a way too. There is a way each one of us can go forward appreciating, supporting, building up. Where are the good things? Let's make those just give, if we give our energy to, things grow, right? When we water them. Mm -hmm. So let's keep watering all the good things. Um, So we also, you know, we want to intersect. One of our big mottos is both and in a world that's been very either or. And so it's kind of radical. We do radical things. Um, We actually, on the police issue, we brought together at the very physical table, uh, the head of the trial lawyers, lobbyist, who sat down with the head of the police union. And they, this, there were four people at that table over at McDuff's at the Highlands Golf Course. They talked face to face about the issues that are now actually in front of the legislature because those laws needed to be tweaked in order for the police to feel like their hands are no longer tied. And it is happening. I'm just saying it is happening, but I really feel it's through dialogue. And it is very John Paul too. It is very John Paul too. So um, the encampments and the people experiencing homelessness, we have to do a both and approach. The encampments themselves are inhumane. But I have to say, where are these people? Yes, they are increasing in our area. When, when you go and meet the people in those encampments, close to 70% self-identify as having a mental illness. Close to 50% self-identify as suffering from addiction. Those are very co-related realities as well. Around 50% are veterans. So here's then the question. Um, I do think we need to end the inhumane encampments. I don't think that they are the answer. They are, there's rats. There's complete um, disgusting garbage and um, filth. And it's a complete health hazard. We can't just look away and say, we're going to live with these encampments, but how are we going to wrap around these people who are actually the most vulnerable people? And we, what we did in our area in, you know, Western state hospital closed down the civil side of Western state hospital four years ago. And really every single mental health resource will tell you there's not enough. There's not enough. So we turn people out on the streets who are our most vulnerable people. Well, what do we need to do? We need to create more wraparound services. So I, every day, I'm, it's a great desire in my heart. Um, So one thing just, and again, it's like, it's the Holy Spirit because it's bringing together silos, but bringing them together because they know what to do. And it happens. It like flames up when they're together. 
So um, I'll give you an inside scoop. Okay. Just between the two of us. I won't tell anybody. Just between the two of us. <laughs> it's hot off the press. It's not even on the press yet. Um, one example. We have an area in our in Tacoma, and it was a golfing range called the Tacoma Furs. And it came to me in the middle of the night. Like, what about that space? Because I knew that it was no longer going to be a golfing range. So um, we, we presented that idea to the city. I have to say the city has been super responsive. I, it's, not, it's not enemy. It's not adversary. They, they are open. And I actually feel most leaders are overwhelmed themselves with these issues. They don't know what to do either. I think it's a moment for every voice and co to collaborate. So anyways, our city has looked at 1,100 spaces for a safe camping site or tiny house villages. And actually, I have to say there's been, um, we have some good tiny house villages that have come and um, are, are functioning well. And Lehigh is one of the ones who run it and they're doing a good job with management. Okay, I, um, I think there should be many more nativity houses. I think Catholic Community Services needs to continue. I think the rescue mission, um, which also has a very strong faith perspective, but they're doing a great job. So let's find, and you know, I, I think Triumph is doing a great job over on the Eastern side. Let's, let's keep going with these amazing models of success, but we need more. And I don't think the answer is just kicking people out of the town. We need to help. And so the Tacoma first site, um, at first the city said no, because it was leased on a 55-year lease. Well, we went and we met at that little table with the one who had the 55-year lease and uh, Mike Givens, and he is a man with a heart for this community. And so he said yes. And then I went up there with the city, like eight people from the city staff, and I, I thought they were saying no. I thought they were saying no, and we're talking about the hurdles. Well, um, about last week, the end of last week, they actually declared that space as a viable location. So it will be either 40 tiny houses or 60 safe camping sites with wraparound services and security, mental health. It's, it's what's needed. So that's it just is, it, we just need to keep going and providing more services. Here's some other ideas. They're radical, but why can't, why can't the veterans hospital have some tiny house villages or an assisted living sort of hotel situation, but that is more long-term housing for our veterans? My dog's barking. If 50% if of our homeless people are veterans, how can... Um, JBLM or the Veterans Hospital actually wrap around them and, and create assisted living situations for their health and healing. So we have to be creative and innovative and keep working together. <laughs> Angela, that's incredible, yeah. uh, the things that you're talking about. And it's amazing, like, when you create a space for people to, like, rise to, to their best selves, to to be able to operate in accord with their, like their honest ideals. Well, they are actually able to come together and you're showing that that's true. 
right? It's not just an idea. It's not just a far off ideal or a dream. No, you're actually making it real um, through creating the space and and, and providing a a motivation to say, we can do this. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm a mom of nine kids, just like you're a dad of nine kids. (laughs) And what we do really well, or, you know, maybe it's just out of habit, but we set the table. Yep. And this is just about setting the table and then watching everyone who have the gifts and the energy and the abilities come together at that table. You know, it's funny because uh, wraparound, you have, uh, uh, you have a bunch of boys wrapped around by two yeah. girls. Yes. Uh, yes. And I have two boys wrapped around by seven girls. Yes, so I know. And we keep talking about, you know, arranged marriages. there's got to be a connection down the road somewhere. Yeah. Right. I, I like that someone said uh, highly assisted marriages, yes. not, not arranged. Yes, highly intentional. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about being intentional. I'm talking again with Angela Conley, and um, she's sharing some really powerful testimonies about the importance of being engaged, the importance of intervening, intersecting, and creating space for dialogue and solidarity to happen. And look at the difference in, in things that, honestly, you don't hear many stories like that. You don't hear many stories about solutions coming out of these types of engagements when it, when it comes to the relationship between the police and, um, and factions in the community or city council members, you don't hear many solutions about uh, addressing homelessness and dealing with uh, substance use disorder and mental health challenges so, or uh, helping veterans. And, and in the way that you've just talked about, it's very powerful and it's very encouraging, but it means also involving and caring for other uh, parts of the community that are also under tremendous stress. Yes. And this was actually the impetus of my reaching out to you today was because you're not busy enough, why not put mm-hmm. together a business summit? So talk about <laughs> that business summit coming up on Wednesday, yeah. this Wednesday, the 26th yes. from six to eight in the evening at the LeMay yeah. America's Car Museum in, in, in downtown Tacoma. It's right next to yeah. the big Tacoma Dome. You can't miss it. Um, and so uh, I'd love for you to talk yeah. about that initiative and what will be happening that evening. Yes. So um, I guess one of the key principles, again, is that everyone needs a voice. And uh, the business community, the small businesses in every business district throughout our city and county, um, the big businesses, all those um, neighborhoods and business business communities have felt very silenced Mm -hmm. and very concerned. And they have been um, very vulnerable and marginalized to crime. So um, we have arranged a business summit for Wednesday at the LeMay. And this is the opportunity for, um, for business folks from every business district to come and speak out and to share their stories. But it's really just not about sharing the stories and leaving it there. We are about action and solutions. Um, I have to say again, I'm, I'm very thankful to the openness on behalf of our leadership 
So the mayor will be there. Our brand new, brand new uh, police chief, Chief Avery Moore. This will be his first um, community speaking engagement. He is coming and he is gonna share some thoughts. Um, we have four city council people coming. We can only have four. That's why there's only gonna be four um, because otherwise it's a quorum and it's illegal. So we have four signed up. We have county council people coming on this. Just now I got word from Bruce Dammeyer, our county executive. He's also going to be there. So, so we're, we're having a conversation around a big table at the LeMay Car Museum is what that's going to be. And it's, it's, yes, there's frustration and pain and woundedness and problems, but we are going to, one of our goals is to form a specific business coalition with the city leadership to solve these problems. We need community policing um, officers beyond our police officers. We need more police, but we also need uh, more community safety officers with boots on the ground in every business district. So, so again, I'm very excited. It's, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because sometimes when people speak and, and use their voice, there can be tension and there can be emotion and strong emotion. So while all that may be part of it, the general um, principles of what we're doing is to collaborate, to listen to one another and to work together for solutions. I think that's so beautiful um, because I know that um, I have, I tend to have more interaction with sort of small business folks who are really uh -huh. struggling, trying yes. to, trying to figure out how do I navigate these challenges when like, what's going to happen next? Like what will be the next yeah. um, impact of an outbreak or a policy yeah. that's connected with COVID and addressing the pandemic. And all of a sudden they're lessened ability or loss of ability to run their business. Yes. And that has all kinds of effects on marriages, on families, on um, financial yeah. stability, and then all the yeah. other families impacted by the business. So I think that that's a beautiful powerful way um, to make some forward progress. So, so yeah. officials can hear about business challenges from, from the if, folks that are on the front line. And if everyone listening today can pray, <laughs> that would be a very good thing. That would be that's, beautiful. Yeah. That's what's, that's, what's going to change. And it's, um, I do think the Holy spirit is guiding this. And so, and I just think there's so much hope ahead way. It's, it's, it's beyond the division in so many different ways, but you're absolutely right. There's um, we can't just settle with what's happened. Mm -hmm. We yep. can't, it's not okay. Well, it's hard though, because it's calling for a level of action and engagement mm -hmm. that most people have not had as a requirement on their own lives. We've been able to enjoy an abundance of blessings and comfort and prosperity so that those problems could be hidden from view or just avoided and ignored because yeah. we were just busy and somebody yeah. else would take care of it. That's not yeah. an option anymore. Right. So um, here's another idea. Okay. You want another idea? Let's go, um, Angela. Okay. I think... 
that we need to form a lay group or a, um, a group of citizens who intersect and build relationships with our most vulnerable people. So what that means is, um, you know, so we, you know, we'll bring our clothes and drop them off, you know, somewhere uh, at Nativity House or we'll do or we'll serve a meal. But what's really, really needed, I believe, is relationship, deep relationship, walking with. Um, and I'll give you a little example. Um, and, you know, one of the women who works with Tacoma Safe, and I say works with, you know, we're all volunteer. There's not an ounce of money coming in <laughs> to do anything. So it's a complete, just total volunteer. She kind of started and paved the way for us to, to really intersect into the deepest encampments. And she was, she's, you know, she made us all brave to do this, but which I think we just need each other for that to say, okay, let's all go together. And so that's what we're trying to do too. But what happened um, under the 705 bridge is really um, beautiful. And there's so much more need, but this is one little snippet of beauty. So we um, started becoming friends with um, the people under the 705 uh, about three months ago and helping them clean out their own uh, encampment. This was such an encrusted encampment that the fire department would not go down there. They would not go if there was a call. It was so scary. Um, so, but Virginia kind of led the way on this. But what happened, um, one of one particular situation, there was, I'll just never forget this scene, okay? All these encounters, there's like 200 tents, um, completely with walls of garbage. Um, in front of one was a rocking chair. And in the rocking chair was a woman seven months pregnant rocking. And next to her, which next to her tent um, was a little dresser. And in the little dresser, it was filled with baby clothes, just a, you know, a haphazard uh, collection of baby clothes. And on the little dresser was a fake flower arrangement. So here in this hovel of garbage and complete despair, here's this woman trying to make home, right? She had been homeless for eight years. She lived by the Puyallup Bridge for like six and a half years, 18 months under the 705 bridge in Tacoma. We, as we built that relationship with her, um, we tried to get her into a tiny home. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. She couldn't leave her stuff that was there at her tent. It was her home. Um, but we kept just talking and building relationship. Two weeks before she had the baby, she texted me and she said she was ready. So we went down, got her into the women's shelter at the rescue mission. I, Duke Paulson works with us and he carved out a space for her. The shelter's full. There are not all these open beds carved out a space for it. It was in the midst of the huge snow and ice everywhere. 
Well, their policy at the women's shelter is they all have to leave from 7.30 in the morning until five at night. Mm -hmm. Here's this nine month pregnant woman who is told go out onto the streets all day. Anyways, he, they made an exception. She could stay inside during the day. We, we got her over net then to the family shelter. And um, she had her baby about a week and a half ago. Um, the baby is still in the hospital, but um, is doing well. She is back at the um, family shelter now. Tomorrow, I'll go pick her up. And we're going to go over to the tiny house village. So we've worked with the tiny house village and they are carving out a space because they're all full, but it's, it's all working out. And so she will be able to have the tiny house. So I've seen this heroic woman. She is heroic. She had to leave everything behind for the sake of her baby and go through these unnavigated experiences coming out of a way of life and she's doing it and she's staying clean. So her story initially, she tested positive at the very beginning of the pregnancy for drugs, but she went to every OB appointment, which is really heroic given that you're living on the street. She, she found a way to her OB appointments. And she's been clean ever since. UAs, clean UAs. She's continuing to have clean UAs. Um, she's completely committed to helping and what she wants, what's best for the baby. She, she will not have the baby for a little while. because with, So I sit with her on the Zoom meetings with the social workers. Yesterday, it was a hearing with the judge. And I, and I'm a support person for her and it's, I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much about, ah, there's just such pain out there, but there's a lot of good people working in our system. And, um, and there's a lot of good people who need an ombudsman. So I think a huge gap that I see is a space for people uh, to say, I'm going to be an ombudsman. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to sit with my new friend here during those Zoom meetings. I, you know, it might mean getting, I got a, you know, a car seat or a tiny little baby bed because you have to have that to bring the baby home. What are the things, what are the hurdles that are happening? It just needs a little ombudsman. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that right now out there very much. So if anyone has any spare time and wants to explore this idea of really, you know, if you're in Tacoma, um, contact me, come with me. We have a group that are doing this. And it's, it's amazing of um, how warm it feels, warm in a way that feels right. That's Angela Conley sharing today. Angela, that is uh, the power of testimony is just amazing. It's like what we don't always appreciate is that that woman's story is repeated how many times without the ombudsman, without the Angela and the group of women and others that go under the bridge, spot her, 
walk alongside her, patiently accompany her until she's ready to take the next step. What's the likelihood that she would have ever been able to navigate her way from the tent to the shelter, to the family shelter, to a tiny home? The answer is practically zero. And so you literally saved a life and you're, now you're saving a whole family tree because this, now this baby has a chance. Well, I just, I, there's so much opportunity to intersect. Mm -hmm. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Well, Angela, I'm going to be respectful of your time. Um, but folks, I want you to hear one more time, just to, again, the, the powerful testimony of, of the way Angela Conley and um, her family are stepping up to respond to the challenge of right now, the call to communion and solidarity, the call to intersect dialogue and express compassionate care. There, there are ways to get involved to make a difference. And if we as the body of Christ don't do that, we who have been blessed in so many ways, we're failing the call of the moment. And Angela, I just thank you that you're making um, opportunities for folks to respond because a lot of people would be frozen saying, I don't know where to begin or, or how to get involved. Well, I just want to give out that opportunity one more time on Wednesday, this Wednesday, January the 26th, six to eight in the evening at the LeMay Car Museum in Tacoma. Come on out and you'll have a chance to see Angela and meet many business leaders, the, the city mayor of Tacoma, the new police chief of Tacoma, council members, and lots and lots of folks in the business community, hear their voices, share your voice. And, and who knows, you might just be inspired to, to uh, take up a call yourself. So Angela, last, any last word? Um, I would just also throw out there our email address, just in case anyone wants to contact us. It's TacomaSafe2021 at gmail.com. Tacoma safe, S-A-F-E, 2021 at gmail.com. So folks, Tacoma, yeah. T-A-C-O-M-A, Tacoma safe, S-A-F-E, 2021 at gmail.com. You'll be able to reach out to, to Angela and uh, connect with her and the other folks that she's walking with and discover ways of being yeah. involved. Angela, thank you for taking so much time today to share with me this incredible testimony. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Keep shining your light, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. All right. Welcome back to the program. Okay, was that powerful or what? For me, that was just, it was very moving and it was very challenging uh, because it, um, what Angela was sharing about was the way in which we are called to take action. It's not enough to be concerned and say, oh, isn't that terrible? It's not enough to um, to say I'm touched and moved by that plight or even to say, well, let me let me just give some some financial support to this. What Angela really was displaying here was the way that we're called to to move forward with concrete uh, activity, with concrete engagement. Um, she talks about this intersection, this, uh, this way in which we, we come close together with. Um, I brought up the way in which that beautifully embodied the teaching of St. John Paul II, where he highlighted this reality that we are a community of persons. 
That means that the, that the Blessed Trinity, God, the ultimate source of all being, the one who is um, this mystery, this eternal mystery of three persons in one God, shows us just how deep this beckoning call and the internal drive, the let's call it the necessity, the integral way that community, communing together well, living well together with others, is an essential part of how we live our faith. That if we aren't living well with others, there's a dimension of our own personhood that is not fully living in accord with the way we've been made. Because we're made in the image of the Trinitarian God. We're made in the image of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You you hear me, um, I kind of beat this drum quite a bit on Sound Insight through the years when I talk about the reality that as a person, we're created in the image of God. Um, and not only as individuals who are created in the image of God, we're having intellect, will, and memory, thereby like being like to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with those three powers that we have. Because those... Those are all associated with us as individuals. But John Paul II drew out that stream in our tradition, which said that when we are in relationship with others, when we are living well with others, when we are experiencing a communion with another person, we are more fully imaging God than we do as an individual. Let me say that again. You more fully image God when you're living well, when you're living in communion with others, than when you're simply standing there all by yourself. And John Paul II, he, he describes, he, he lays out in his book, The Acting Person, the way in which this person who is a gift, you who are a gift, can express that communion of persons with others, that, that constitutive dimension, that fundamental dimension. And he uses these two terms, dialogue and solidarity. Dialogue is when we, what, live well with others in speech. We're being respectful of each other. We speak in a way that isn't browbeating. It isn't sarcastic. It isn't hurtful. But it's an openness to share and receive in speech. Share and receive in speech. I'm open to you. I'm open to your ideas. I receive you. I receive what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with it. But I'm going to respectfully um, take you in as some take seriously the fact that this is something that you hold dear. And I'm going to share with you what I believe. And then based on that, we'll lead to common action. Ah. The solidarity piece is that when you're suffering, I'm not immune to it. When you're struggling, I'm not separate from it. When you are in pain or in a broken condition, I'm involved in that too. It's not only your humanity that's at stake in a broken situation like that, but in some mysterious way, my humanity is at stake. You might remember, I um, I love this. It's, it's from one of the um, plays that St. John Paul II wrote. You probably have heard that. He, he was part of this theater of the word. It was sort of an underground theater. It was a way that they were transmitting culture and, and keeping alive the, the Polish reality um, under, under the communist regime. And so he wrote plays. And one of his plays was called Our God's Brother our God's brother. And in the play, he has a man looking at a homeless person on the street 
in the snow at night, leaning against the lampstand. And he's standing apart from the man at a distance, looking at him. And he's having this dialogue with himself, this dialogue with himself saying how sad that is that that man is in that situation. But then he goes and he moves to help him. And he reaches out to the man and he lifts him up. And he says, and then the next sentence is, you have saved me. You have saved me. And, and, and the thing that's so striking, the thing that is turns it on the head, is that you have saved me is not what the homeless person in the cold at night in the snow is saying to the guy who's picking him up and taking him to shelter. It's not that man saying, you have saved me to the guy who's rescuing him from his condition of being on the street. It's the man who's doing the picking up. It's the man who's reaching out and rescuing that other guy who's saying to him, you have saved me. And think about it. You have saved me from selfish living. You have saved me from self-centered living. You have saved me from inauthentic human living that would allow me to remain distant from you, untouched by your plight, unmoved by your circumstances, not in solidarity or in compassion, not failing to recognize your authentic humanity has a claim on mine, and I'm going to reach out to you. I must do that for the sake of my own humanity. That that is so powerful. A beautiful, powerful scene conveying an important point. Well, it's not just a play. You're actually seeing it play out, and Angela Conley was telling the story of how it's playing out in her life and in the lives of several others that are down, down under the bridge in Tacoma helping the homeless. We can do something, too. We must do something, too. It's our own humanity at stake. Oh, and by the way, our Catholic Christian witnesses, disciples of Jesus as well. All right. Thanks for being with me today. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.